0: Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to Timber Creek, and uh, those of you watching online, and especially our friends over at Dieball Correctional Center. Our guys there—you're not a church project; you're part of our church family. Come on, guys, let's give it up for everybody that's joining us today. We love you guys, and. We're all journeying together through the story of God, the one thread throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And a great resource that doesn't replace our Bible, but it's a great uh, resource for our learning is the story. It's available in Cafe Aroma. If you don't have the money, you can take one. We'll give it away for you. We're already selling it at a loss anyway. We want you to not just get through the Bible. We want the Bible to get through you. And this is one way we're doing that. We've taken 80% of the scripture in this novel format and we have made it chronological from Genesis to Revelation. And today we're in chapter 19 and 20. And so maybe you're new today or you're, you're visiting, you maybe have been gone a while. So like, oh, I'm not going to catch up. I don't know where we are. We're in week 20 here. Uh, that's okay. Every story stands on its own because here's what we're learning through the story of God. No matter what the story is about, who the key character is, it all comes down to we deal with earthly dilemmas that require a heavenly solution. Uh, We deal with a lot of the good, the bad, and the ugly on this earth, but it's not solutions in and of ourselves. We've tried that mechanism. We've tried that strategy of pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps and thinking that that's going to be it. If I just bite my bottom lip a little harder, if I just get my ducks in a row, if I just put a little bit more elbow grease into it, and I just, we see through the story of God that it's not about what you could ever do, but it's completely about what he has done. Through not only showing us we need salvation, but then sending us the Savior. And so this last week we read 19 and 20 out of the story. And 19 was about a group... Of Israelites who had been in captivity for a long time as slaves, uh, being indoctrinated into a new Babylonian culture, the king had a little mercy on them and he said, "Hey, you want to go build your temple back? Go ahead. It's in wreck. It's 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 in ruins." And there was a small group of those that were in captivity that they were released to go and rebuild the temple. That story goes on to basically they got tired of having to build, and there was controversy, and there was enemies against them, and so they decided, "Let's stop building the temple. Let's build our own homes." and And they kept going into putting things before God. It's why the very first commandment that God gives Moses to give his people, thou shouldn't have, shall not have any other gods before me. And yet it's still an issue. The whole Old Testament is about idolatry. And the whole US of A, frankly, is about idolatry. It's still the same old, same old when we deal with idols in our lives. Now chapter 20 focuses on a little tiny book in the middle of the Old Testament. Out out of those uh, several books there's this little history book known as the book of Esther. And it really commemorates, through the book of Esther, it commemorates a special festival that the Jewish culture still celebrates today called the Festival of Purim. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but really, Purim basically means casting lots or rolling the dice, trying to figure out through just some kind of mechanism that that we just, let's just draw straws and see. And there's a celebration that happens because this story has a lot to deal with Casting lots or drawing straws. So in that, uh, you know, uh, in that vein of thinking, uh, we're going to introduce some characters uh, to you uh, today. In the book of Esther, there are five characters key characters. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you these, these five cards and it's going to help you be able to share the story of Esther by using this as kind of a way to think through the different characters of the story. So we got five characters. Let's talk about the first character. It's the King of Diamonds. And right there in your bulletin, you can write it down. And the King of Diamonds, his name is Xerxes. King Xerxes has been on the throne not very long. But he owns it all from India to the Mediterranean, the Bible says. It's about 3,700 miles of space further than L.A. is to New York. It's almost New York all the way to Oahu, Hawaii. He owns it all. He's the king. Hundreds of provinces that are under his control. He's rich. He's ruthless. He's the king, baby. And then you've got the queen of diamonds, who's not a very big character in the story, but the whole thing starts off with the queen of diamonds named Vashti. You can write the name Vashti down there on your study guide that hopefully you receive when you walk through the doors. Now we have another queen. So we got, we got issues in the house. We got a queen of diamonds and we got the queen of hearts. And the queen of hearts is Esther. The Book of Esther is named after the Queen of Hearts for two reasons. Not only is she the heart of the story, but she's gonna win the heart of the king and win your heart today. Now, in every deck of cards, you always gotta have, probably in every family, in every situation, in every deck of cards, you got a joker. Okay? You know who that is. It's your Uncle Fred. We, we, all, we all know Uncle Fred's crazy. And the joker in the deck of cards on this story is Haman. Haman is a ruthless racist. Haman is a prehistoric Hitler, and we're going to learn about Haman in a few moments. But there's a final card, but, but now watch close, watch close, because you'll miss it, because there's a secret person. It's a, it's a, it's a card up my neck hole. I, don't, I, I was going to put it up the sleeve, but my biceps are just so huge. Hey, that, that, I didn't expect you to laugh at that. I'm kidding. So, um, don't let that get on you. It's got my my chest sweat on there. So stuck my chest sweat right there. Yeah. No, it's the ace of spades. And here's who the ace of spades is. And the guy by the name of Mordecai, and he's the ace, he's the trump card. And we're going to talk about Mordecai today. And so as we take this 10 chapter book nestled away in the middle of the Old Testament, what can we learn from way back then in captivity of the Jewish people to hear summer of 2018. Well, we going back to the king, and the king is showing off his wealth and his new kingdom. And he has been spending months doing something special to show people how special he is. And he has been throwing a party, not for a week, not for three weeks, not for 10 weeks. For six months, day in, day out, he has been... Oops, 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 oops. It has been the club at the kingdom palace, and he has just been going for 180 days, the Bible says. I mean, the best wine. In fact, the Bible says, and it was very particular, it says he he didn't give anybody a limit. There was no two-drink limit. He said, drink up, let's do this thing. And after the 180 days is over, how does he celebrate this end of this party? he throws another party, a seven-day party. And this is where we pick up the story. On the seventh day of the feast, now really it's the 187th because it's just the, the last week of that big party. When King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, <laughs> you think? He told the seven eunuchs, basically his attendants, his servants who, who were there to, to attend him, serve him, To bring Queen Vashti to him, the queen of diamonds, to him with the royal crown on her head. Bring the queen with the royal crown on her head. The scripture goes on to say, he wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. Now, most commentators and scholars agree that in the original language, this has been, this is just slightly not getting it in English. That in the original language, what's understood was that the Queen Vashti was called to come and present herself only wearing a crown on her head. that that this wasn't just, hey, come bring Queen Vashti in and and have the crown on her head, but scholars believe that it was more in the way the, the manuscript read that it would be basically she's to stand as a piece of furniture of King Xerxes and to show off her naked body to these men and nobles. And so we understand what happens next a little bit better when we understand the context of what's going on. So when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. And this made the king, who owns it all, furious. And he burned with anger. She didn't show. What? You mean? She's not going to, huh? <laughs> hey, guys, just, just a minute. And she he goes, you know, behind the, behind the curtain of the throne. You, you're telling me she's not going to. You tell her. You, you get her. <laughs> well, she He comes back in and says, oh, it's not going to happen. And his wingmen... All right, his wingmen around him, they say, king, 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 dude, you got to get control of your woman. I mean, read the scripture. It's basically what it says. He said, they, they go on to say, they go on to say, if you let this stand, I know she's hot. I know she's great. You love her. She's your queen. But if Vashti's able to refuse the king's orders, They so expand it, but they say, by this time tomorrow, every single woman in this entire kingdom isn't going to respect their man. It's what the Bible says. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to respect their man. And so, the king has to stand up and say, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to be respected, right, men? (laughs) Oh, yeah. He says, banish her. So Queen Vashti is no longer the queen, and she's banished from the palace and from the province. And so uh, four years go by. And, you know, if you've been drinking 187 days, you tend to make decisions you're going to regret. And the king, Xerxes, regrets making the decision on Vashti. He's missing Vashti. He's walking through the palace, and you know, turn around every now and again. And, and he's got the pictures of them, and they're taking the pictures, and there's selfies of them together. And, and uh, you know, and he's just listening to his, his, his old love music. and and, uh, and so he just, he gets bummed out. And the same posse that told her to be banished, they come and say, dude. King Zerk, you can't, you can't be all upset. You can't be so sad. How, how are we gonna cheer you up, man? You want some more wine? I had enough wine. I don't. I just, man, I miss Vash. I miss, I miss her. And, and these same guys, they come up with a great plan. <laughs> you know, not only like women need to respect a man, but they're also like, let's have a beauty pageant. Read the book. It's amazing. They say, let's have a big old beauty pageant. Let's get a bunch. It'll be the, the, the Babylonian idol pageant, and, and it's going to be fantastic, and we're going to get all the hotties from the nation, and we're going to bring them in, and, 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 and Zerk's like, I like where this is going. I like this. I like this. The Bible doesn't say it, but I can only imagine they're saying, and we'll be the judges. <laughs> we'll be the judges, right? So, the king sends a decree out to all the provinces of Persia, and he says, hey, all these ladies are going to be gathered up, and one of you is going to be the next queen of Xerxes." Now, here comes in kind of the, the ace uh, in the hole here, and it's, and it's Mordecai. So, Mordecai had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin. Her name was Hadassah, who was also called Esther. Any guesses of why her name was Hadassah, but she was also called Esther? Well, if you remember, they've been stripped out of their own country. They have been put into a new land, and they are being indoctrinated into new culture. So every Jew is not allowed to keep their own name by themselves. They would be called by a new Babylonian name. So her Jewish name is Hadassah, and her nationality matters in this story, but her Persian name, Babylonian name, is Esther. Now, when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. She was a cousin, but he raised her as a a daughter. And as a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, they were brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa. And when she gets there, she stands out. All the other ladies are there, but when she she enters the room, she's like a princess. She's like a Kardashian. She's like pretty. She stands out, and the lead guy of the harem, like the, 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 the you know, the, the lead pageant coordinator saying, girl, you work. And and <laughs> he's like, make it work, people. And uh, he, he says, I'm going to doll you up. You're the one. You're going to follow what I say, do what I do, and Miss Congeniality is going to be the next queen. And Esther, sure enough, okay, has, has to um, get, get in this treatment process of 12 months of milk baths and perfumes and manicures and pedicures. Guys, you think it takes a while for your wife to get around. 12 months it takes Esther to be prepared to enter the throne room of the king. And sure enough, when her time comes... Uh, she enters the throne room and Xerxes is like, oh, yeah! and just like, whoa, this is a girl. Sure enough, she becomes the queen uh, above all the other women in the nation. Now, what's, what's beautiful about this story, uh, the important thing to remember about all this is that Esther, Esther has a very specific nationality. She's, a, she's of the Jewish culture. And Esther had not told Esther 2-7, had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. We need to keep this a secret because if it's out that you're a Jew, there's going to be some tension there and you probably won't get the same place that you would. Uh, And so she has the ability to kind of swoop in and she takes the crown because Xerxes chose her over everybody uh, else. Now, let's pause the story for a moment. And there's this little seemingly, seemingly insignificant moment that takes place in Mordecai's life. And I want to just say to you before we get into the little seemingly insignificant, there are seemingly insignificant moments happening in your life every single day. And if all we do is just shrug our shoulders towards those seemingly insignificant moments, without at least keeping an eye open to saying, God, what would you do in this? God, is this, is this a whisper here? God, are you guiding me? The Lord has a way of using seemingly insignificant things. I don't know about you, but when a child's born behind the hotel in the barn and put in a manger, boy, that sounds seemingly insignificant. But it's the most important birth this world will have ever seen. So this little insignificant moment happens with Mordecai. He's at the city gate, and he happens to be, you know, next to the water fountain. And two guards got their heads their hats off, their heads off. That would be weird. Uh, this isn't Wizard of Oz. This is the Bible. And they got their, their, their hats off, and they're, they're taking the drink of the water fountain. They're talking to each other. And, and then they start whispering. And Mordecai overhears them saying, yeah, tomorrow's the day. You be in the book depository. I'll be on the grassy knoll. We're going to kill the king. We're, we're going to kill him. And they have this assassination plot, and Mordecai hears of it. So he sends word to his cousin, Esther, who's the queen, and says, hey, tell the king this is going on. Sure enough, Esther approaches the king in her time that, he's, that she's with him, and uh, he finds out about it. He's angry. He calls him in. He, kill, he, say, he just kills him right on the spot. And Mordecai, the guy writes down in the newspaper there that, that Mordecai did this great thing and spoiled the whole plot, this assassination attempt on the king. And it's put, into the, it's put in the newspaper, and then the next big news cycle starts, and it's kind of forgotten. Okay? Now, just log that in your memory, and we'll come back to that in a moment. Let's enter now the Joker Haman, As Xerxes' kingdom grows, he needs more and more high-capacity leaders to help him. And so this man named Haman, uh, who has a history uh, against Jewish people, he came from the Amalekites. The Amalekites were huge enemies to the Jews, so he already had this stereotypical racism built in, this prejudice built in because it's just the way he was raised, and, and, and uh, built in doesn't make it, you know, okay, It's a reality that he's dealing with. He just grew up that way and he needs to deal with it, but he deals with it in the wrong way. And he's racist toward Jewish people, but he's also got this huge ego because the king gets given him responsibility and responsibility and responsibility and responsibility. And all of a sudden, Haman is like the man in charge. And the king says, Haman's so important that whenever he travels, because he represents me, when you see him on the street, everybody bows down to Haman, because when you bow down to Haman, it's like you're bowing down to me because he represents me. Everybody following the story so far? So Haman's walking around the street and he's kind of enjoying this whole time where he walks out into the, in, you know, on his, on his, on his steed and he's, he's in the street and everybody has to bow. Here goes Haman again. He's not the king, but he thinks he is. Everybody's bowing except this guy named Mordecai. Now, Mordecai is a Jew, he's a God-fearing Jew, and if you remember some of the stories in recent weeks past, as you've been reading, but also as we've been preaching, you know that, that there were these moments where Daniel would not bow to political pressure. That the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would not bow to the cultural pressure to say, you deny your own God and bow down to our gods, whether you believe it or not. And they just wouldn't bow. There was something powerful about believing, no, we only bow to God. And Mordecai was just old school enough and just God-fearing enough that he said, I'm not going to bow. And it ticked. Haman off. In fact, the Bible says in East Esther chapter 3, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way, he was so enraged, to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. Xerxes. And so he gets his posse, his posse together and says, we're going to annihilate the entire race of Jews around here. And like, let's do it. And so in order to figure out the day they're going to do it, they roll the dice. They cast the lots. And sure enough, it comes out to about a year from now. In March, a year from now, from that time, in Mar- March 7th is going to be the day we're going to kill the Jews. Mark it down on your calendar, boys. Put an invite on there. Tell all your buddies we're going to kill the Jews on March 7th. Now, in order for them to really do that, they had to get the king's permission. So Haman the next day, after they've selected March 7th as the big deal, he goes into the king and says, king, I'm going to give you a boatload of money, thousands of bags of silver, uh, and and I'm going to take care of you. And it's going to cost some money and stuff, but I'm going to cover the cost because here's a deal. There is a group of people that will not bow down to you. Is there a group of people that won't bow down? No, there's a man that won't bow down to the guy who's not even the king. But it's amazing how his pride clouds, and all of a sudden, when we're prideful, every little bitty thing becomes absolutely big things. When we're prideful, it's amazing. Pride, it's why pride is why pride is such an issue for people because people don't see the real issues, and they make the the small issues big issues. When we're dealing with a sense of pride, but he also speaks to the pride of Xerxes. The money and you and nobody, everybody ought to be bound down to you. And Xerxes takes a sip and says, you bet, buddy. And Haman says, so let's do this. We're going we're to make it happen. Will you, will you King, King says, not only am I saying yes to this, but here, here's my ring. And you put the, 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 the ring, the seal of approval on all this. And you tell everybody that this thing is coming. It sounds good to me. Everybody ought to be bound down to me. The story goes on in Esther chapter 3. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated. It wasn't enough just to say, kill them. We're going to kill them. We're going to slaughter them. We're going to annihilate them on a single day. It was going to be a year from them. Like, what is going to happen the Bible goes on to say there that I didn't add in our notes today, that the whole city was thrown into confusion. Like, why is this, why has this become such a, such a deal? Sure enough, the, the news of this decree here hits Mordecai's ears and it throws him into despair and grief and mourning and he throws on sackcloth and ashes, a public a public way of saying, I'm grieving. And he begins to grieve and wail. And, and, and he, now, 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 there's a really important little piece of the puzzle here that Esther doesn't know what's going on because the king had set up another decree that said, if you're gonna wail and grieve and mourn, don't do that inside the palace gates. Don't do that inside the palace gates. And I, just this morning, as I was reading that one more time, it just, it just reminded me to be so thankful that you and I serve a king that doesn't say, hey, when you got stuff going on, keep it out there. Keep it out there. What, what a reverse. God says, bring it to me. Bring your hurt. Bring your wailing. Bring your grief. Ask me your questions. Cry. Uh, search for me. Ask me. Yell out to me. I can handle it. Oh, what a good God. But Xerxes, that, but that's, a, that's a party pooper. People all in sackcloth and ashes and whatnot. Come on, what a downer, what a bummer. Let's just like have a good time. And so Mordecai sends a letter to Esther inside the gates, telling her what's going on because Esther, through a friend, had heard that Mordecai was in wailing. She didn't know what was going on. Is he, is he sick? Did a friend die? What's, what's happening? And Mordecai sends a, a message through a servant to Esther and says, hey, Haman's going to kill all of us. And you're, 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 you're next to the king. You're the queen. You got to do something about this. Now Esther sends a letter back to Mordecai. And here's what her letter says. Her letter back to Mordecai said, all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited, is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. In other words, King Xerxes was a little, you know, didn't know what was going on. He he was a little unreliable on the old emotions. So you could show up no matter how much you look like a Kardashian. You could show up and if he had had a little too much, it may be, hey, come here, girl, looking good, or don't bother me, I'm playing a game of, you know, Pac-Man and off with your head. We didn't know what kind of Xerxes we're going to get that day. And so he was so particular, if he didn't hold out his gold scepter to you, you could be killed. Esther adds the little PS to it, and, and the king hasn't even called me to come to him for 30 days. So what she's trying to get Mordecai to understand is, I know you think I'm close to the king, but it's been 30 days. He has not been called. And that's the longest we've ever been apart. I'm thinking maybe his attractions have changed. Maybe, maybe I'm old news. I'm yesterday's paper. It's time for him to move on with his life because he's got two houses full of concubines and mistresses. Maybe I'm just kind of left behind here. So that, after that message, Mordecai reads, he sends another. And you know, this has taken some time because it's not like text messages back and forth. These are written out, sent, hidden, slid underneath doors. I mean, this is a private, secret thing between the Jew Mordecai and, and the behind the scenes in the palace Jew named Esther. But Mordecai sends this reply to Esther. Look, look girl, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. And he says this, he says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Here's what Mordecai is saying. He so believed in the one true God. He so believed in the promises of God, that he would never leave or forsake, that even though they were going through the shadow of death, that they would not be completely wiped out because God had a promise that all of of the world would would, uh, be blessed through uh, the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Mordecai believed it. said, hey, someone else is going to rise up. But as for us, we're toast if you don't do what you're doing. And then the next thing he says is a very popular scripture in church world. Maybe you've heard it before Maybe this is the first time, but this is a really hot statement in church circles. And here's what he says. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. For such a time as this. Esther is faced with a decision. Is she going to risk death to save the entire Jewish nation for such a time as this? Could it be that she wasn't queen because she had good looks? Could it be that there was a a bigger thing going on? Could it be that the challenge you're facing right now that may be seemingly insignificant or a big deal, could it be that it's way beyond the challenge and it's more of an opportunity for God to show himself to you? Could, Could it be for such a time as this that something's getting ready to happen? Well, Esther sends the reply back to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. In other words, we're going to disconnect and we're going to reconnect. We're not, we, we are going to take this matter very, very seriously. And Esther finishes her letter to Mordecai, her cousin. And then though it is against the law, I'm going to go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. And it brings us to the key question today, the key question for you and I in 2018 that, that we can learn or we can at least reflect on in this story. Take your notes and, and write down this question. Here's the question. What's the first thing I do when I face intense pressure? It may not be a situation where, if someone doesn't hand their hand out to you with a golden scepter, that it's off with your head. But it could be in that decision at work. It could be in the marriage that is volatile. It could be that you've been holding something back and you've got to reveal the truth, but you're afraid of what the consequences might be if you were to tell the truth about a situation. And, and you, you're facing intense pressure. You're facing intense pressure at the job because the demands are so high, and it's, you're just wondering if you can even keep up. And what do you and I do? What's the first thing we do when we face intense pressure? Well, I, I, I left some extra blanks there, some extra space for us to write down some of these things. And here, here's one way we do. Some people eat. And you get stressed out, Ben and Jerry's, baby. Some of you get stressed out, boy, I, I'm, I'm only on three number twos, okay, uh, from, from, from Chick-fil-A. And, and you say, you, you, some people get angry. What's a crazy combination is when people get angry and they eat. <laughs> Some people turn to the bottle and, and they, they, um, they soothe the issue with a bottle of wine or a bottle of pills, whatever. I just don't want to feel this right now. I just got to unwind. I'm so stressed. That I just, I just oh man, I, I cannot wait to put my feet up and just have a glass of wine tonight. Now, I want to I say to you that this is, a, this is a part of the story, a, a lot of the, the, the wine and the celebration and things like that and, and uh, I just want to invite you um, that, that I'm, I'm not trying to pick a fight with people who drink alcohol at all, at all. Um, what I'm inviting us to do is just reflect on, does alcohol ever become the answer does it ever become, I just, I just can't live without it? It's not about the, the legality of the freedom of the law or being, you know, re- legalistic. It's about like, can you look at your boundaries and say, I can give it up today, no problem. I could go without it immediately. And if you start to get a little sweat on your brow, if someone has said to you, hey, I think we need to talk about your drinking then that might just be a, a, a sign that there's, there's some, number one, there's some pressures in your life, but maybe you're responding to some things in a way that if you don't deal with it now, could become an unbelievable problem for you. See, the church for so long ra- railed against alcohol, that people said when, when we started preaching on grace, it's like, "Oh, come on, you know, it's not a big deal. It's not. I mean, alcohol's all throughout the Bible. The very first miracle, Jesus turned water into wine. Bless God, H2O to Merlot, and 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 there's all kinds of there's 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 all kinds of differences between the wine and the Bible and wine here. It's just it's just different. But but let me just say this, but because we we swung the pendulum so hard and said, if you drink NyQuil, you're going to hell, right? Because it has like, you know, point whatever percent alcohol in it. That's what the church was saying back in the day. And don't go watch those movies in that movie house. That Then when the pendulum swung the other way, we went so grace that we kind of, we, we, we started living without guardrails. And what I'm inviting you to do as your pastor, okay, I'm going to get off this now. But I'm inviting us to, to uh, understand that there is a healthy, there's something healthy about guardrails. Very, very healthy. And when you keep finding yourself with a wheel in the ditch, it's time to start thinking, are my guardrails in the right place? Okay? Some people, they work harder. They just, they just put the nose of the grindstone. They work harder and harder and harder. And maybe by working harder, they're going to get themselves out of that pit because, man, the intense pressure, they just work harder and harder. Some people hide out. Some people do all of them. It's just a mix of all of them. Some people hide out. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to push that under the rug. I'm just going to be my own person. I'm going to stop communicating. Just the other day, uh, one of our pastors was having a conversation in the kids center lobby. Uh, A a family had come and said, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you doing? And here's what they said. They said, oh, yeah, we kind of stopped coming to church because our marriage was struggling. And I just, let's back that up. The best time to be in church (laughs) is when your marriage is struggling. Like this church, it's okay not to be okay. We say that a lot, but I also say it's not okay to stay that way. But the worst thing would be for us to when we face intense pressure to step out of the kind of environment that wants to that, that is there for you to cast your care on those kind of of him and to other people so that you can find freedom in that area, that you can find hope and help. It's why we do groups. It's why we have growth track. It's why we have starting point. It's why we preach the word every single Sunday. Like the time, we, stop thinking you gotta be perfect. Man, I get so mad when I hear people say, yeah, my relative, I told them I was going to church and they said, ha, I'm surprised the walls didn't cave in when you walked in. Yeah, they didn't. Because, but probably when you do, sucker, What I'm trying to say is this, what I'm trying to say is this, like, oh, dear God, I've got issues. And you've got issues, bless Jesus. And we need each other. we got to be able to rely, we got to be able to send a letter to somebody and say, we need help here. Stop trying to do it on our own. And so what we see in Esther is she didn't just get enough courage. It wasn't liquid courage. She didn't just kind of have a strategy. The very first thing she said was, we got to fast. We got to fast. Would you write this down? Seeking God must be our first response, not our last resort. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. As your pastor, I stand in the intersections of big moments of life. Hours after babies are born. Hours after the affair has been uncovered. Hours after the phone call has come in that the relative has died in a car wreck, I get those opportunities to stand in the intersection. And as I observe those intersections of life, I find that when people are in hurtful intersections, crisis mode, they very quickly rely on God. They, they call out to God. And you know what? That's good. It's good. But I want to say to you, God, we miss so much of what he has to offer if all we do is see him in the moments of despair. He's available in every moment. And he ought to be our first response, not our last resort. And we all do all kinds of things. I I invite you, seek God first. Praying and fasting. You know the disciples? One day when when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said, master, teach us to, and it wasn't teach us to lead, teach us to break bread, teach us to to, to read scripture, teach us to um, walk on water, because man, that will really impress my mother-in-law, and you know how she is. No, master, teach us to what? Pray. They saw something. Listen, listen, friends they saw something in the way the son of the living God spoke to his father. If there was something so holy and powerful and real and authentic and genuine and consistent and necessary that the son of the God of the cosmos would talk to the father, how much more should you and I follow and allow Jesus to teach us to pray, to talk? It's the supernatural thing that you're fingertips every single moment of your day. Teach us to pray. And that's what Esther and Mordecai and their friends did. Now, I just want you to see something here. Do you know this is the book of the Bible, the only book of the Bible out of 66 books, the name God or any derivative of the name God is never even mentioned in the entire 10 chapters. God isn't mentioned in the entire story of Esther. Now they say we'll fast, but they don't say we'll pray. They don't say God's name, call upon God. And I want to say something to you. Maybe you felt like there's been chapters in your life where you don't see God. I just want to give you a secret. He's there. And in this story of Esther, the name God might not be there, but the hand of God is there. The hand of God is in your life, even though you may not see him at work. So Esther prays for a few days. You guys still with me? We, we, still, we still tracking? All right, I'm going to finish up the story now. Esther knew she couldn't do this without God. And after seeking God, she approaches the king. And when she, the, the door is open and she approaches, it's either a javelin through the throat or the golden scepters handed out. And sure enough, he's like, Esther, my girl, get over here. Talk to old Zerks, Zerks. He's in such a good mood. He says, you tell me anything you want, girl, it's done. It is done up to half my kingdom. She's like, I want that Rolls Royce. No, that's not what she says. And here's, here, here's, her, here's, what, here's how she begins to unravel the whole deal. Esther says, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman... Come today to a banquet. I have prepared for the king. Today, tonight, like we're, I'm, I'm preparing this banquet. It's going to be huge. You're our invited guests of honor, and and uh, w- would you come? And so, sure enough, the king says, "All right." And Haman, dude, you got to know that this is like stroking the ego of Haman. The most beautiful girl in the land wants King Xerxes to go and have dinner with him, and he's in, She's invited me. <laughs> Haman, honey, are you going to be home for dinner? No, babe, I got other things to do. (laughs) So Haman shows up and the the, the conditions must not have been right. Esther must have sensed that it wasn't quite the right timing because in that banquet, she says, hey, I want to do this again tomorrow night. Will you come tomorrow night? And King Xerxes sure enough says, well, let me check my calendar. (laughs) It's clear for you, girl. And Haman's like, I'll be there. (laughs) And so, King Xerxes leaves and Haman leaves, and the Bible says that Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet. (laughs) But as he's leaving, who does he come across? He saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate. What's what's Mordecai not going to do? Not standing up or trembling nervously before him, and Haman became furious. And so he goes home, and he throws off his suit and tie, and he's, he's, he's brushing his teeth. And he, his wife's like, why are you so stressed out? You're the second in charge. What's up? Come here, Hamey. And he's like, no, I can't. I'm so mad. That, 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 that Mordecai, everybody else bows down except that Mordecai. Ah, oh, next year can't come soon enough. I'm going to kill that sucker. In fact, I'm not going to wait for the annihilation of all the Jews. I'm going to get my hands around that guy's, that sucker's neck as soon as I can. In the morning, I'm going to the king. And, 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 and his wife is like, mm, you do that. You better do that. Do it. He's like, she goes, you know what else? And like the family gets together. You know what else? You should build like this huge pole that's really sharp. It's like an impaling pole, 75 feet high. And when you get to kill Mordecai, you should you put him on it. Mordecai. I like that. I should have used that one in the first service. I like that. Mordecai Do a Mordecai bob on him. And I mean, Haman's like, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You are because you are the second in command. You are the second in command, Haman. And He, he lays his head on his pillow and it's hard to sleep. He's so excited about killing this Jew tomorrow. As soon as he gets the king's permission. Meanwhile, back at the palace the king can't sleep. And he's tossing and turning. His CPAP machine won't work. (laughs) He's got restless leg syndrome. He's up in the kitchen and he's eating some kind of cold pizza. One of his servants comes in and says, Zerks, my king, is everything okay? He said, I cannot sleep. And the servant's like, you want me to? Want me to help you? Want me to play the harp? Want me to read you a bedtime story? And Xerxes says, yes, read me a bedtime story. And they go in and he says, what kind of bedtime story? I got Jack and the Beanstalk. I got Cinderella. I got, he goes, read stories about me. <laughs> this is a true story. This is a true story. Read story. Go back in the, into the uh, history books and just read me some history books. That And, and maybe that'll knock me out, but I just want to kind of hear about my kingdom so I can sleep well in my own prideful rest, you know. And so the servant goes back and he starts to read. Well, the weather was seventy-two, a balmy, a balmy seventy-two. Um, uh, stocks were down two point three percent. This is what happened. He said, oh, here's a little story. It was it was a a, a while back, uh, a couple years ago. Um, there was a plot on your life, Mordecai. Uh, Mordecai uh, uncovered a plot to kill the king. There were two palace guards that that were killed. He goes, I, that's right. I remember that. What was his name again? It's Mordecai. It's Mordecai. He says, oh, Mordecai. Did we do anything for Mordecai when he did that great thing? And, and the servants look and says, mm, there's no indication that you ever did anything. And the king says, first thing in the morning, I'm going I'm to bless the socks off of Mordecai. And he lays his head down. And when the rooster begins to crow, Haman wakes up excited. It's a beautiful morning, <laughs> going to kill Mordecai. And, and Xerxes wakes up and it's like, I think I'll go outside today. And they're just so excited about the day for two completely but uniquely comparable issues. So Haman comes into the palace courts that morning. King, looking good, buddy. And and Xerxes says, Haman, what's up, man? I heard that you needed help today. And Haman said, yes. He said, now, I want to hear what you have to say. But first, before you even speak, I got to tell you something. Okay, now, this this is like a Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, Abbott and Costello moment in the Bible. Okay? This like comedy of errors situation. Because, Because Xerxes says... All right, I want you to imagine something. And Haman's like, okay, okay, speak on. He says, if there was somebody in my kingdom, a man. Haman's like, yes, you've narrowed it down 50-50. He says, if there's somebody in my kingdom that man, I, this guy deserves honor. He deserve the whole, all the provinces need to know that I like this guy, that he's important to me that he's special, that I admire him. How should I go about telling the entire land how special this guy is? And the comedy of error is Haman thinks he's talking about Haman. And Haman says, well, I don't know who you could be talking about. (laughs) But here's what I would do. And he goes through this thing. He says, I would put a robe on him of the finest cloth. I would give him, I mean, he ought to look like Mr. T with all the jewelry we're going to put on his neck. We ought to place him on the, the most beautiful uh, uh, white horse. And and somebody else that's high up in the kingdom ought to, gra- ought to grab the reins of that horse and ought to walk around the entire city. And they ought to shout out loud, this is what happens to a man that the king respects and loves. And as he says all that, he basically goes like this to like, give me my robe and my jewelry. And Xerxes says, great idea. There's a guy outside the gates named Mordecai. You probably don't know him, but I love that sucker. And Haman There's nobody more important than you besides me in the kingdom, and I'm not gonna, you know, chase them around on the on the horse with the reins. So, Haman, you take the reins, get the robe, get the gold, and get Mordecai, and you've got your orders for today. I love you, man. This is why you make the big bucks, buddy. And Haman turns around and is like, what just happened? What just happened? Sure enough, Haman takes the reins, and Mordecai's on that. I wonder what Mordecai's thinking, you know? <laughs> like, All right, I like this. And Haman has to yell, "This is the man who the king. This is how the king shows true respect for a man that he wants to honor." And Haman becomes even more furious. Now. It's the second banquet. And the first banquet, Haman left happy and excited. The second banquet, his feet are tired because he's been traipsing around the entire city. (laughs) And he's coming up to this second banquet, well, at least I get to spend time with Esther and King Xerxes tonight. And he shows up, (laughs) plops down on the pillow at the low table. And on this second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, okay, girl, tell me what you want. Stop teasing, Queen Esther. What is your request? request. I will give it to you even if it, is the ha- if it is half the kingdom. And here Queen Esther jumps to action. Queen Esther replied, if I have truly found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request. Now, again, it's King Haman Esther. I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. She goes on to say, for my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter and annihilate us, the same words that were in the decree that Haman sent to all the provinces. Who would do do such a thing? Now if you're Haman and you're hearing Esther. You're thinking to yourself, what is going on here? I imagine you could have heard the gulp in the room from Haman. Who would do such a thing? King Xerxes demanded. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? And Haman's like, yeah, who? And Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. And the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. (laughs) However, Haman, he stayed behind to plead his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. And if, the, if, if, if bad grows to worse, here it, here it happens. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining just as the king was returning from the palace garden. <laughs> now he's begging for his life, but he's fallen on her, and the king, he says, wah, wah. Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And he snaps his finger. And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. Put the, the black sack over his head and drug him out. And in a little bit of poetic justice, one of the attendants says, you know what's crazy? It's like... Haman, for the last little while, has been building this massive, like, impaling pole in his backyard. It's like 75 feet. And if I'm not mistaken, he said he was going to use it for Mordecai. I guess he won't be able to use it, and I guess he won't be able to use it. And the king says, actually, I have an idea. And sure enough, Haman is impaled on his own weapon of hatred, his own weapon wielded out of his pride. So as we close today, take your notes and let's write some reflection questions that we can learn from 20, this story in 2018. I want you to reflect on these questions this week. Here's the first question. How open am I to inviting God into every area of my life? Uh, He's invited on Sundays. He's invited at the prayer around the table. But is he truly invited to your financial decisions? Is he invited into the decisions that your emotions drive? Is he invited into who you think you are? Is he invited into your sexuality? Is he invited into your marriage? Is he invited into your financial decisions, your, your, your boardroom decisions? Is he invited into your overtime decisions or the job that you decide to take? Because, man, now I'm going to make that more money. I am going to have to work weekends now, and I'm not going to be able to take my family to church anymore. Is he invited into every area of your life? The next reflection question would be this. How willing am I to take a stand for the right but hard thing? Friends, I want to tell you something, we live in a beautiful country. As much as there's issues, we live in a beautiful country that still gives us rights and freedoms as Christ followers to not have to find a hole somewhere or some kind of cave and worship God in secret. But do not take that privilege for granted. It is becoming harder and harder To say, I believe the word of God is truth and the compass for life is becoming harder and harder. In these United States of America, to say that with passion and conviction and not get blackballed. Used to be that the right thing, according to the word, was the easy thing. It's becoming the harder thing. Friend, when, you, when you're out of town on that business trip and all your other business guy partners want to go out to the strip club, it's the right thing, but maybe it's the hard thing to say, I'm, I'm not going. Oh, come on, we're all going. It's not a big deal. It's just women. God created women. No, I, I'm going to... This is, this is a, a line I, I, don't, I don't cross. How willing are you to take a stand for the right but hard thing... What would you be willing to sacrifice to stand for the right thing? Esther was willing to sacrifice her life. It took seeking God, but that's where she was. Third question is, how aware am I to the potential God moments around me? Could you be in an issue, a situation because of your own doing, because of a fallen world, because of of, uh, poor choices? Because of God, for such a time as this, could you be where you are dealing with what you're dealing for such a time as this that you would surrender this moment to him. And finally, write it down, although God is never even mentioned in this entire story, although he's never even mentioned, the story of Esther shouts the value of Jesus. Jesus doesn't come onto the scene until hundreds of years later in the virgin birth. But this story shouts the power and value of King Jesus. Write him down. Number one, Esther had to approach the king's throne with fear. What might the king do? I don't wanna get the king on his bad side. And do you know that some people still today, even in this room, you still approach God that way? You approach God thinking he's mad at you, thinking that he's gonna raise his hand against you. He's not against you, he's for you. In fact. Esther had to approach the king. But Jesus leaves his throne to approach us with grace. Thank you, Jesus, that it's not about what we do. You approach us. Already today, friends, this Sunday was designed not for you to reach Jesus, but for Jesus to reach you. We don't have Sunday service, and I don't preach messages for you to begin to find Jesus. These are all moments where Jesus is walking towards you. Esther had one chance to approach the king, one chance, who knows how it could go, one moment, one time, Jesus gives us constant access to the true king. In my my moments, of exhilaration in my moments of despair in my moments where I've served him well in my moments where I've fallen short Jesus gives us constant access see the Jews were still in a place they didn't even have a temple they didn't know how to reach God The only way they knew to reach God was to build a temple and then a priest on behalf of them would walk into the temple, into the Holy of Holies and do the sacrifice, do the holy pastoral priestly things and the priest would take care of it all. But Jesus comes and he he creates your bodies. They become the temple of the Holy Spirit that you can access. You don't have to come Sunday morning. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You can't live the kind of life God's designed you to live outside of local community, outside of the local church. Well, I listen to the radio. That's my church. (laughs) Fine, but it's not church. That's radio. That's a good message on radio. That's awesome. Hear God, pray, seek God. But there are so many promises of God you will never fulfill if you're not inside a local church, be it this one or another good one. You got to be inside the local body. Jesus gives us constant access to the true king. Esther, she had to fast about it. She was human, but she was willing to die for her people. And I want you to write out this whole sentence. It's not even a fill in the blank. Because I want to remind you how important this is. Because I believe that just when you go through the motions of Sunday morning, even if you're well-intentioned, sometimes we can forget this last thought. Jesus actually died for his people. He actually died for you and for me. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a story. It's the story. He actually gave his life for you. Why? So that when we come face to face with evil, when we come face to face with the enemy who wants to slaughter, kill, and annihilate... We know there is a master who doesn't stand behind palace gates, guarded from your issues, guarded from your worries, but he would actually involve himself in the process and say, what's it going to cost for them to know I'm serious about my love for them? Okay, my life, done. And while we were still sinners, he dies for us. And his power of resurrection lives in our lives today. Let's pray. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Here, there, a die ball. What is it that you're dealing with right now? Maybe a decision you made. I've said this a few weeks ago I am my worst problem sometimes. Maybe just a, an issue of life because we live in a broken world, there's been some hurts. Maybe the enemy has come up against you because he's a real enemy. Or could it be that God has placed you for such a time as this to go through this moment of testing? If there's something you're dealing with today and you want to release it not to your own mechanisms but into the hands of God, friend, let it go. Put it in Jesus' hands. If you want to put something in Jesus' hands that you've been trying to hold on to for a while, I want to pray with you about that. If that's you, no hesitation. Would you put a hand just right up in the air? Yeah, I need to release this and put it in the hands of Jesus. Yeah, me too. Me too. You can put your hands down. Father, we thank you that you have not placed the expectation on us to try and hide our issues but to bring them and lay them at your feet. And we don't catch you at a bad time. We don't catch you in a bad mood. We don't catch you in a flippant attitude. You are available every single moment of every single day to meet us where we are. And before we could even take a step, you were walking towards us. And God, for every hand that was raised in this room, the big things, the little things, the things that matter, they matter to you, God. And Father, right now we just open our palms and release those things to you. God, that that, that regret, that guilt, that shame, that issue that's making us feel that intense pressure. Whew, I want to fix it myself because I think I'm big enough and smart enough, and I'm not. That's that's me being king. You're the king. You're the one that has the decree. You're the one that has the authority. God, do what only you can do in these issues as we surrender to you. Would you just repeat this after me? Jesus, I surrender. It is not easy. I love being in charge. I must decrease, you must increase. Thank you, Jesus.